Welcome, my name is Matt Wilson. Thank you for joining us for Kadena Air Base Fire Department Highlight. In these episodes, we'll talk with current members of the department about emergency services offered, department makeup, shift schedules, local community, and much more. Our intent is to give listeners an idea of what the department and base are like so that they can make an informed decision when their time comes for reassignment. So without further ado, please welcome from Kadena Air Base Fire Department, Tech Sergeant Brock Lilly and Staff Sergeant Christopher Benner. Well, again, welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for coming on. Um, as you may probably already know, the intent of this episode is to simply highlight the department and base while keeping it unclassified, of course. It's to inform those up for reassignment, you know, get them, give them insight into what the place is about. We'll talk a little bit about the department makeup. We'll talk about, you know, the services offered at the department. Talk about the local community, and then we'll highlight anything you gentlemen want to highlight. So before we get going... Can each of you introduce yourselves and then give us a brief overview of uh, what positions you hold? Uh, so I'm a tech sergeant Brock Lilly. I'm currently the uh, stand-in assistant chief of prevention over at Kadena uh, while our boss is deployed. Uh, so uh, I'm filling in over there right now as the uh, assistant chief, but normally my job is the NCIC of prevention. Yeah, I'm Staff Sergeant Benner. I'm uh, one of the fire inspectors there. I head up the uh, munitions storage inspection area right now. I cover the public information, social media aspect, and I do hot work permits and hot work training like that. So yeah, I've been in prevention for a year and a half. Been loving it. Awesome. Two prevention guys. Cool. I like that social media presence that you guys have, man. You guys are pretty creative. Thank you. Are you the architect? I am. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that's something that uh, other departments can you know, use you guys as a good as a good example of you know how to how to really interact with the community on social media. Everybody seems to be connected to their phone, so mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's good to exploit that. Cool. Well, again, thank you both for coming on. So we'll start with a brief description of the department and base. How many fire stations are there? How many firefighters? What's the mission of the base? So uh, our, our basic breakdown is uh, we've got uh, four main fire stations um, and then currently we have a, a fifth standby station uh, so we can support the Navy. Uh, we've Our mission is pretty big here. Uh, we've got a lot of different aircraft here from the, the 15s to C-130s and our largest aircraft being the KC-135. Uh, so that's kind of where our, our base is out of. It's off the KC-135 but we see a ton of transient aircraft from all the different services all the way down to JASDEF sometimes. Uh, so our mission is pretty large here. Uh, we're pretty high paced. Um, we're sitting at 118 firefighters, so we've got uh, plenty of people to go around uh, on two shifts, working the standard 24s right now. Uh, but I know they're looking at different avenues to change that to uh, 48s. Cool. What's JASDEF? Uh, JASDEF is the Japanese Air Force. So the uh, our counterparts here on the island is uh, the Japanese Air Force. You guys interact with firefighters for from them at all? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes time we do some training. Yeah. yeah. I know in Korea we did the same thing. I mean, there was. Korean firefighters, we would interact with just a little bit, not much. But. Yeah, so we do it a couple, two, three times a year, and then we work with um, White Beach Fire Department, a local fire department. We would do some things with them time to time as well. Nice. So what, you may have mentioned it, I, um, what's the military-civilian mix? You know, how many of each? We're about straight 50-50 split. Um, so there's just a few more military than there are civilian. I think we're at about a, a 65-55 split, uh, just about. So we're, we're pretty close to right down the middle, even down to the admin positions. We've got uh, two or three civilian inspectors, uh, one civilian in training, 
and then we have like a civilian deputy type position, and then we have four uh, MLC civilian dispatchers. Chris, do you have anything to add on any of that? It's just nice being able to work so well, and the guys work hard. The MLC locals do work really hard. It's nice um, coming from other overseas bases where the locals kind of sat back and watched us work. We have guys that are really hands-on here. So it's a, a nice change of pace for us getting to watch their experience, learn from their experience a lot more than I have seen other places. So I heard you mention that you guys work 24s on ops, but you did mention that they're exploring other avenues. What other avenues are they exploring? So uh, currently they're, uh, they're looking at the, uh, the 48 mix, uh, just the 48 on, 48 off of the Achilles day. Uh, obviously the, the issue is with us is that the MLCs, uh, the Japanese employees, they can't work anything more than a 24. If they work anything over uh, 16 hours, they're not allowed to, uh, they have to go home. They have to have time off. So uh, they're not able to do that. So that's the, the struggle right now is to figure out how they're going to implement 48s for the military and stay 24s for the civilians. So. Gotcha. Yeah, I've talked to a couple bases and so far before you guys, everybody seems to be on 48s or at least moving in that direction. It, there's a lot of positive feedback. But we have we haven't had an episode to cover any of like the positives and negatives. But I know that everybody's got their PowerPoint. You know, every base has their, everybody has their guy that's got the PowerPoint. Like, oh, I got all the information we need. We just got to sell it. You know, but anyways. that's certainly that's certainly us. I mean, that's uh, of course the uh, everybody's afraid what's going to happen with the civilians. But we've got some great leaders on the civilian side. That they'll take care of it. But uh, we'll see if we jump in or not. I hope so uh, for their sake. Yeah. I'm not going to go back to the floor anytime soon. But uh, for their sake, certainly. Yeah. Again, it sounds like a good schedule. I haven't worked it personally. I've only worked 24s. But... So, yeah, we know that every base is different. We know that every department is different and uh, every every department has different services. Some departments have unique services, um, you know, based on the mission and everything. Does Kadena provide any unique services or what services do they provide? Okay, this one. Um, overall, we, our, our mission is similar to everybody else, support the airfield first primary mission, secondary, you know, coming to structural and medical and hazmat beyond that. But what we get here more than any other place, I think, would be UXOs. Uh, this island was peppered with munitions in World War II, and they're still sitting around when there's stuff being dug up. Uh, so there's a lot of new construction. The buildings are rather old. A lot of them are being replaced, demolished, renovated, what have you. So when the contractors are out there digging, working, we constantly get UXO calls. And so um, it was really unique for me because I hadn't really done it besides downrange. So um, I feel like a couple times a week, um, sometimes a couple times a day, we respond to UXO calls. And it's a, sometimes kind of a little bit of a long process, sometimes pretty quick, but definitely unique here, in my opinion. That's definitely unique. That's pretty. That's pretty cool, but probably pretty frustrating after a couple of years of being there. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So what do we do in the fire department for, for that? What's the SOP on that? It's just a standard response, you know, a standard UXO response. We're going to we're gonna send one truck and a, a battalion chief or the assistant chief, depending on who's on duty. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're calling EOD. At this point, one of our large places now, they're starting to implement EOD being on standby at that site all the time because they're building a whole new complex. Um, so while they're digging around out there, I mean, they've not only found individual uh, rounds out there, but they found whole caches uh, of live munitions uh, buried in that area from back in the day uh, when this was used to be a Japanese base uh, back in the original setup. So 
Uh, it's it's been interesting. I've been fortunate to be or unfortunate to be on a couple of those calls. Uh, however you want to line that up, uh, but uh, they're long, they're tedious, but uh, you know it's a good experience for certain because, like you said, you don't get this experience unless you're downrange most of the time. So yeah, for sure. That area that's being built right now was a former training area for the munitions, and so that's why there's so many there. They're just they just left them. They haven't left them. <laughs> so yeah. they're all there. Yeah, that is pretty unique. Any other crazy things going on there? I think the other thing we deal with a lot is uh, it's a joint. It's a it's basically a joint base without being a joint base, right? We've got uh, every branch of service operates on our installation, um, and so having to, especially from our perspective, having to uh, appease to those customers every single day um, without being a joint base. So there's no real rules um, in in place for that. It's uh it's certainly a different atmosphere. Um, trying to see how that how that communication works every day um, from the different army and navy units that are scattered uh, all over the base so yeah i'd say that's unique uh, as well yeah i wanted to add um the dispatch here we so we have um the local Jap japanese dispatchers and we have the um, military gi american dispatchers and so that way we can handle whoever calls however is more comfortable speaking whichever language uh, at the same time we also because we have such a big presence navy marine even army on this island there are different avenues that you have to call. There are several different 911 numbers here and several different ways that a dispatcher has to get in touch with different areas to ensure that help is on the way. And so uh, as a dispatcher, it's absolutely probably some of the best experience you can get when it comes to the stress and the training that comes with it. Because not only are you handling a call, an emergency, you're handling who needs to know and who do you need to coordinate when it's off base or something like that. So I think it's um, an area where if you get training here for telecommunicator, telecommunications, your next place would probably be a piece of cake. A, a cake walk. Yeah. Sounds like it. And, we, and with that, speak Japanese, do you? <laughs> no, <Okay. laughs> uh, but with that, we, we have the, the like you spoke on with the 911 number. Uh, we've been dealing with that as a struggle forever. Uh, you have to call, set a 911 from a cell phone like a normal day um, just to get to Kadena. It's, you know, it's an eight digit number uh, or 11 digit number. Uh, and then to get to the other bases, it's a separate number. It's not just a localized 911 from your cell phone. So the education piece on that is huge. Um, us stepping through a process to figure out how to make that just 911 from the cell phone has been the longest process we've been through and just trying to get uh, get that through, but it's of course expensive and, and tough, and it's a it's a process we're working through every day, trying to figure out the best way to uh, to to make that happen. Because it's, I mean, as you know, call volume is is pretty high here, and on top of that, just uh, response times are super important. And we've seen the uh, unfortunately seen the downsides of not being able to get contacted as fast as possible because of that that number. So, so UXOs kind of a unique dispatch situation, uh, dealing with a lot of joint partners. Hurricanes also hit that place pretty often, right? Yes, sir. So that's not necessarily a unique service, but I imagine the preparation for that is pretty, because you probably probably got that down pretty well. We do. We do have it down well. Uh, and luckily we have locals who have lived on, on this island for 100 years each. So if they're not worried, we're not too worried. <laughs> but we do have our own guidelines. Kind of in the United States, there's hurricane conditions. Here we have T-core conditions because they're typhoons. So. Um, it's, I, I was at Hurlburt, so I know Hurricane 
coming here, T-Core is, is very similar. So if, if anyone has been stationed along the coast, uh, East Coast, Gulf of Mexico, they're going to be really familiar with it here. Mm -hmm. Well, another really important aspect, or maybe even one of the more important aspects of, uh, you know, getting a new base and getting a new assignment is you wonder what the local community is like. So what city or town is nearest to Kadena? And uh, tell us a little bit about it. So, so we're on the island, right? Um, we're kind of our own city. Uh, we've got our own little small sections of the city, of course, but we're on the island of Okinawa in Japan. Uh, so what's a, what's around is basically what the eye can see. Um, it's not super big here. We're a little bigger than Guam, of course. Uh, so we are not uh, quite as island fever as they get. Uh, but certainly it's it's a beautiful community. The people here are amazing. Um, I, we get to work hand in hand with that community every single day and see see how generous they are to us and how respectful they are of us. and um, we, uh, you know, we always try to repay the favor and what they've done for us and let us be here and, and take us in. And the culture's awesome. The food is incredible. Um, just uh, being able to get out and do that stuff. Unfortunately, with COVID, some of us have been landlocked or island locked for the last year and some change. Um, so we've really gotten to see what's what's to offer here, but not quite quite outside. But the traveling here once that lifts is super easy, super cheap. Um, you can kind of get to see a lot of stuff in the Asian culture just for a couple hundred bucks. So, Yeah, I guess I... I don't know much about it, man. So you, you know, you're educating me. I don't know how big the island is, but I know that it is an island. But it uh, didn't really, didn't really dawn on me that maybe there's no town. It's just one big island. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> yeah. Well, there are a couple spots, um, uh, yeah. like town-wise, like south where the airport is, of where we are is is Naha. A little bit north is Naga, which is more like mountainous. Uh, and then both sides of the island have great beaches all the way up and down. Uh, we also have. Um, a military area to the north spot of the island called Akuma, which is a great vacation spot. Uh, it's run by FSS. It's got everything you need there. Um, it's really fun. It's got a, like a par three, little par three golf course. It's got miniature golf. It's got camping, cabins, and beautiful beach. And then down in Naha, it's more like a shopping, restaurants, things like that. So if you want to get away, you go north. If you want to go to the city, you go south. And we're kind of in a perfect spot. Kadena's right in the middle of it. Cool, man. So is it a good place for families? I hear kids back there, man. I imagine <laughs> pretty good. Uh, can you hear them? I'm sorry. They're taking a bath. Oh, it's, oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's great. They love it. There's so much stuff to do here. Uh, coming from Florida, they got a taste of the beach. And then coming here, they can't get enough of it. The wildlife that you see at the beach you can just go to the beach and handle five, six different animals uh, in the tide pools. We haven't been lucky enough to find an octopus yet, but pretty much everything else they've had their hands on and caught and looked at and learned about. Uh, besides that, there's Pineapple Park, which is a little theme park. With, like it's called Pineapple Park. It's all pineapple and fruit themed. Really good drinks and foods and little mascot there that dances around little rides and then there's dino park right up the road from that which is almost like you're walking through jurassic park they love it we go probably four times a year it's their favorite place to go the dinosaurs move roar and my kids absolutely love it because they're big jurassic park fans so those are the two spots that uh we love going to the kids love going to besides that it's a lot of beach they're learning to snorkel, really getting the hang of swimming. I think it's fantastic for kids. It's away from family. That's a struggle for everyone at any age, uh, that support. But if you 
come in and build a support circle like you do with the military, um, you'll be good to go. It's really great. Yeah, it's a good point. How often are families coming and visiting? I imagine not much during COVID. Uh, yeah, I mean, in general, right, we have not I mean, I've been here just about three years and my family hasn't had a chance to make it out here. You know, it's tough. It's expensive. Um, so as far as that, that's, that's certainly the one of the very few downfalls I see about here. And of course, COVID certainly didn't help. Everybody had plans until that happened. I think we all all feel that, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So, I mean, families, some get a chance, some don't. Um, it just really depends. And of course, for our younger guys, they're only here two years. So their family having an opportunity to figure that out. And their two year time is, is pretty short. So. Uh, that's really just dependent and, and on Chris's point of the family stuff it's it's awesome here for kids and, and on top of that I don't uh, there's no fear if I'm just letting my kids play in the yard there's no and I live off base you know I don't live on the installation even and I still have no fear of that there's no um, I know that, that we talk about there's different places in the U.S. that you wouldn't be comfortable with that but there's not a single place I've ever walked here that I felt like that's not the not a place I would like to walk my family through so it's certainly family oriented. The Japanese culture loves kids, no matter where you're at, no matter what age they are. They always want to talk to them and, and do things with the kids, no matter no matter what. So, family is super important to them here. So it's it's awesome. What about the schools? I mean, it sounds like if every everything else supports family pretty well, I imagine the schools are pretty good. Yeah, I mean, my wife actually works at one of the schools on base. Um, so uh, we've got. A ton of elementary schools, a high school, two middle schools. So just on base, we have a ton of school opportunities. But uh, I know that Chris and myself, my daughter and, and Chris's kids have both gone to schools off base even um, and, and spent some time in that. And they, you know, them teaching them the, the Japanese way, but as well as, you know, being very understanding and teaching them English way and teaching them the American way at the same time and, and just letting them get a blend of that. That learning is, is awesome. Their teachers are great. The people uh, taking care of the kids are awesome. So the school systems out here are are great and they have international schools. So that way, if, you know, if we came back or whatever, my kid was in high school, they could go to an international high school off base and, and just be just as welcomed as any other. Yeah. What an experience that would be. I'm pretty jealous. My kids get to go to these schools. Yeah. Yeah. To talk about, I don't know, becoming cultured, you know, at a young age and really understanding the world so much better than if you were growing up in a small town, USA, which is no problem with that, but you know, experiencing something like going to a Japanese school, that's pretty crazy. Absolutely. So you mentioned some recreational activities, going to the beach, snorkeling, scuba diving. What else does the area offer, if anything else? I mean, that sounds like enough to me, but is there anything else? Well, Siren Lily's always golfing. Uh, there's plenty of golf courses on the island. Some of them are pretty exclusive, kind of invite only. Um, sounds really nice. I'm not much of a golfer myself, but there's disc golf. There's basketball courts all over the place. Uh, the Okinawans are incredibly athletic. They play pretty much every sport, including American football. There's a couple teams on the island now that military guys play in. And then there's the intramural kind of each camp and base kind of has a team that they play against each other from time to time. Soccer is getting really big. The team here is actually undefeated right now, the local team. They're really good. I'm a big soccer guy, so I keep track of them. The basketball team is one of the best in Japan. So they play... They have these teams that travel to mainland and play in these big leagues. So you can go to that. Those sporting events are very – basketball's a little hard to get into. It sells out pretty well. But if you wanted to go see soccer, baseball, you can get into those pretty well. The basketball arena is a little bit smaller. They're building a new one, so it should be bigger. <clears throat> but they're really good. They win all the time. So if you're into sports, there's you'll never run out of sports to go see or go play here. High school baseball is their big thing here. 
Uh, they don't uh, they don't have a professional team on the island, uh, but their high school baseball. I mean, you'll see the locals standing around the phone trying to watch trying to watch a local baseball game at the high schools, and they're always inviting us out to watch the high school teams. They just they love it. They eat it up. Um, so, and and with the pro team, I mean, even our our international traveling traveling team came here last year uh, or two years ago, right before COVID and all that started for a, a game. Of course, it wasn't the pros; it was our our U18 team, but super awesome getting an opportunity for those kids to come over here too and experience the culture and um, play against some incredible baseball players, some of the best I've ever seen. So, Yeah, I know the Japanese have awesome baseball players, man. They take a yeah. lot of pride in baseball. So do the Koreans. Yeah. Yep. How do, how do the Americans compete? Do we, do we integrate like our high school kids? Are we integrating and playing with them? And how do we compete? Yeah. Uh, we've got a couple guys in the department that coach uh, some of the traveling American teams that travel around the island and, play the, the local high school teams. Uh, our high school doesn't necessarily transfer off base to play, but uh, their summer league teams uh, get to go play against the high school teams and stuff like that. And they get to go up to mainland and, and even to, to Korea and compete against those guys as far as the traveling team goes, since it's only a two-hour flight from us to Seoul. So it's just as far to fly to Tokyo as it is to fly to Seoul. We're kind of right in the middle. So they get then an opportunity to really travel around a, a, a section of Asia to play some baseball. It's pretty awesome to see. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, it's a good segue into my next question, which was in regards to travel. So when you can travel, where do people like to go? All around. Uh, people travel to Korea, Bali, Thailand, China with approval. You're a, such a short hop away from all these places. And then there's Space A that goes through all the way to uh, Seattle, Guam, Hawaii. Uh, you can catch these flights with when you're on leave, get signed up, get in there and a lot of times they have room and they travel weekly, if not more often. The travel is before COVID-19, it was to your heart's content, really. I feel like there wasn't a lot of limits on where you could go in the Pacific, even to the American Western West Coast. So I can't imagine outside of Europe. Europe is pretty easy to travel when you're there. But being able to hop across the Pacific like we can here, it's really an amazing once in a lifetime opportunity yeah it is and we're not stranded too much you know we get to we can go to mainland without any leave you know we don't outside of covid measures of course but uh on a three-day weekend four-day weekend we can just pop up to mainland on a plane and not have to take our leave and get a chance to spend some time up there um and you know my family's done that without taking leave i know chris's family was able to do that as well right before the pandemic started uh, so it was it's it's an awesome way to get around and, and see something different without you know costing you too much and flights are super cheap up to mainland, you know, 60, 70 bucks. That's, that's your cola covers that, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good, pretty good jump. So. Yeah, it's really cheap. And that's awesome. You'd have to take a leave to go up to me. That's local area. Mainland. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So what's the weather like there? Tropical climate. The coldest it gets is in the fifties. I think we maybe touched 40 high forties. This past winter is a little colder there than one before but year round it's pretty humid pretty warm the summer gets hot the sun is a different animal here on this island it seems like so a sunburn happens faster than i can remember ever having one in the states just warm tropical all around beautiful not, not a lot of bad days there's a, a little bit of a rainy season for a month or two and after that it's smooth sailing yeah, we've got about two seasons here. We've got uh, from November to April is rainy season, and then uh, 
end of April, beginning of May to the following November is uh, typhoon season. That's the two seasons we get here. So it's uh, uh, typhoon season is normally your, your clear, sunny, nice to go. So, Well, beyond what we talked about today, uh, what else would you gentlemen like to cover? Anything else? I think something big that uh, we, we'd like to promote, and you promoted it for us a little bit, and I, and I would like Chris to talk on it a little more, is just our Facebook presence. I think that's carried us through the pandemic. Um, the work that between him and uh, yeah, your good friend Dominic Schultz has put into that Facebook page and uh, and, and pushed the, the different videos and the memes and the information and stuff like that is, uh, has carried us a long way. It's, I mean, we did Fire Prevention Week basically all through Facebook and videos and just because we couldn't get anywhere. So um, I'd like to hear Chris just kind of kind of pump his own his own jam a little bit, kind of talk about the, the stuff that we do on there. So that's something I'm really good at. Myself <laughs> up, but I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity. Honestly, I was a big social media guy when I was younger. I kind of made my way through the struggles of dealing with having it all the time. And then when I was given the opportunity to be the, the social media presence, the, the media presence in general, I, I not only do that, but I create ads for the local magazine. I create interviews with the local radio station um, and then taking on the Facebook page, especially with COVID, we weren't able to go out there and push all these little education classes and get out there and hand stuff out all the time. And so I literally, and the department really challenged me saying, oh, we need to do something. We need to do this, especially with prevention week coming up during this time. And we all kind of put our heads together and we came up with, all right, we can do virtual tours since we can't do a tour in the station. We can do, um, I, I spit, spit out the idea of doing um, some AFN commercials for the week and that ended up turning, turning into the safety videos, which Sergeant Schultz took on and crushed. They came out so great. They were educational, they were funny, and we could put them out on YouTube, on social media, share them all over, and they were an absolute hit. I mean, the numbers that we were getting through the Facebook page of people viewing it and interactions, I didn't think we would see, you know, 15,000 people on one video. Like, in this day and age, it's not viral, but to us, we felt like rock stars. <laughs> Uh, after prevention week and after the videos kind of died down, we, I was struggling again. I was okay, what do we do now? How do I keep getting the education out there? Especially the 911 numbers. We want people to be able to call 911 because we hear stories of people not knowing it. And we brief it every week at newcomers. It's a mandatory briefing everybody goes to and we harp on it and safety harps on it. People don't write it down. They take a picture and then it gets buried in their photo album and they don't have 911 when they need it. And it was a challenge again. What are we going to do? We need to get the information out there. And one day it just hit me. Memes. I mean, there's so much misinformation and information that goes out on memes across social media. I said, I'm going to use this for good. I, t I texted our little prevention group chat. I said, I'm, I just had an epiphany. It just hit me. I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner. I'm going to create memes. And I made about 15 that night. Started posting them once, maybe twice a week at most, not to oversaturate it. And the feedback on that was, again, the numbers were great. We were getting to thousands again when we were sitting at maybe 100 for regular posts of NFPA graphics, you know. So getting the same information out there in a new way 
10 times more as many people were looking at it and it was getting shared across different places and i got feedback and uh, you know likes and comments from guys like cody who i love and i know that he's working with you now and i think it's awesome i love that guy so to get get feedback from him and just really get the dynamic of the page and the education piece out there again was was awesome the memes were a hit i wish i'd done it sooner i'm gonna get some more out there this week you, you provide a good example of creativity in kind of a complicated position but you're in a position where you have to get people's attention because you want to change behavior and you have to be creative to do that and you've, you provide a really good example for it another thing i think worth highlighting with you guys is the fact that you have kind of a community outreach person that's dedicated to it a public education person. Um, I've been to a handful of departments in my career and the prevention section has always been engaged with the community, but never was there a focal point. Like your job is just community outreach. Um, and I'm not saying that's your exclusive job, but it, it sounds like it's certainly a big part of it. Uh, I always say if I were fire chief for the day, you know, I think I would create a community outreach person. I would, I think that that's probably one of the most important things that a department can really do especially for us in the Air Force. You've done a good job so far. I look forward to what you got in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. Anything else you want to highlight, Brock? Yeah, like I said, I think that's our big point. Um, I mean, for people who come in here, just know we're busy, uh, but we love doing what we're doing. Um, tradition here is huge. Um, I've not been to many departments that do ring out ceremonies for people who get out of the military or, or uh, just PCS. Uh, that's a huge thing. Like I said, I'm sure you saw uh, Dom's ring out ceremony and his, his little speech at the end. Uh, it, I've not seen that before. Um, I knew what it was, of course, just being a, a proud firefighter, but, um, seeing that and getting to see that all the time and, and something we hold near and dear to us is, is awesome. Tradition here is huge. And, and that's right down to the local community, man. Those guys are the, everything they do is in deep and rooted in tradition. So getting to have that carry over is awesome. So this is certainly a good assignment for people. I know that, uh, people think it's scary cause it's a beast. Um, but once you just dive right in, it's, it's like living at home. It's, you start working with all the guys and you create a relationship and that's what you do, you know? So, you know, everybody here and we mix right in and it's awesome. So. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Well, thanks again, gents, for coming on. Thank you to your department leadership for allowing you to come on and highlight to the department and the base. You know, it was great to learn about Katina, everything that's going on there, everything that you guys are doing. And I know that there's some folks that'll find value in it. So I appreciate your guys' time. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fire Dog Podcast. You can find more articles and episodes just like this regularly posted on our new website, firedog.us. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Fire Dog Podcast and on Instagram at the Fire Dog Podcast. That is the Fire, D-A-W-G Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and follow to stay plugged into every new episode and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you've enjoyed this episode. Lastly, we'd love it if you'd share this podcast with your friends and coworkers, either on social media or at the firehouse. This is Matt Wilson and guest Tech Sergeant Brock Lilly and Staff Sergeant Christopher Benner. Until next time, stay safe. <laughs>